turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Winter to four nights. The following program is sponsored. Truth in it. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy, a biblical view of self-defense. The guy who wrote First Peter and tells me to suffer as a Christian was told by Jesus to go and buy a sword. It seems to be the case that there is some suffering I must embrace non-violently as a Christian, and there's other suffering I'm justified to repel and to act against. There are times I'm called to take up my cross and suffer. There are other times I think I have a legitimate right to defend my right to life. When we're faced with mortal danger, can we protect ourselves by taking the life of another? That's a loaded question because the Bible tells us both to take up arms and lay down our weapons. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and today Philip opens to Luke chapter 22 to examine the words of Jesus so we can apply biblical truth to our concerns for personal safety. We're also discovering that our ultimate peace and security rests in God's protection. Now, here's Philip. We're in a series called Maximum Security. And given the threat of Islam and ISIS across the world and events in San Bernardino and across our nation has kind of brought it home to us that these are uncertain days, what does the Bible say about security? What is a Christian's means of defense? Is it God alone? Could it not also be the government protecting us? Have we got a right to defend ourselves? I mean, Jesus said something interesting in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, don't resist an evil man. Turn the other cheek when you're slapped in the face. So is a Christian to be a pacifist? Is there ever a time and a place where a Christian can act in self-defense even with lethal force? This isn't a subject you can really deal with in any one passage, but the one we're about to read will give us a start. As we read Luke chapter 22, verse 35, And Jesus said to them, When I sent you without money, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. Then he said to them, But now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Now, I want to speak on the subject in self-defense. Four things, four questions. We're going to be topical. 
because there's not any one passage that really gives us the last word on this. We're going to look at the Scripture question, the Savior question, the sovereignty question, and the suffering question. Follow along. First of all, the Scripture question. What's that question? Does the Bible make a defense of the right to self-defense? That's the question. The Scripture question. Does the Bible allow for the use of lethal force, the employment of a weapon in the defense of your life and those you love? I believe it does. I don't believe it gives unqualified support, but I do believe the Bible gives clear support for a person's right to self-defense. Now, let's back up into the subject by going to Exodus 20, 13. Thou shalt not kill. And some people take that and they read into that. That means that all killings are bad, period. Hold on a minute. That's the old King James, which is a wonderful translation of God's Word. But if you've got the new King James, or you've got the NIV, or you've got the NASB, or the ESV, doesn't your Bible say, thou shalt not murder? Because that's what's really being talked about there. The sixth commandment is not a prohibition to kill anybody or anything. Why? Because this commandment, which reflects the heart and holiness of God, is a prohibition against murder the illegal, illegitimate taking of innocent life. But you know what? If you go into the next chapter, God orders the killing of certain people for capital offenses. So Exodus 20 can't mean, you know, a period stop at all kinds of killing because the Bible teaches capital punishment, the death of some who have committed capital offenses. Go to Proverbs 24, verse 11. I think this is another argument for the justification of self-defense in certain circumstances. There's this theme that I think springboards off the command to love your neighbor, right? There's two great commandments among the many commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And I would say embedded in that idea, if God allows me to protect myself in an act of self-defense, even in the use of lethal force, can't I exercise that out of love for my neighbor? Shouldn't I not only think about my own protection, but the protection of my neighbors and my neighborhood? I think that's fair. Let me give you two verses I think will help you with that. Proverbs 24, verse 11. Deliver those who are drawn towards death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. Intervene and save life. That's a biblical principle. If you go to Psalm 82 and verse 4, it's even more explicit. Psalm 82 and verse 4. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. Now, you can guess what's in the hand of the wicked. Okay? It's not an ice cream. It's stuff to hurt the poor and the needy. And I can assure you, I don't think this text is teaching me. Here's what you need to do. You need to go up to the wicked who have got weapons in their hand and say, You know what? Can I ask you to stop what you're doing? You think that works? Come on. This is a text that says, when you have the ability, you have the right to intervene physically, even lethally, to protect the life of other people, just as you would yourself. In fact, if you go to Ezekiel 33, that's the watchman on the wall passage. And God warns the watchman, the guard, the guy who's up in the tower, if you don't watch for the coming of the enemy and people lose their lives because of your negligence, I'm going to hold you accountable. It's pretty strong stuff. Because I think, again, there's this idea. It goes back to Cain and Abel. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Out of love for neighbor, 
You may act in self-defense, not only to save you, but save them, and lethal force may be required to free them from the hand of the wicked. So, let's move to the New Testament. Although somebody might ask right now, Pastor, come on, that's all interesting, but that's all the Old Testament. See, we're New Covenant believers. We're to live according to Jesus' ethic. You know, love your enemies. Don't resist the evil man. So, you know, we really don't get our morality from the Old Testament. Well, my friend, who told you that nonsense? Of course, some things are obligated. Some things are superseded. But I would remind you that Paul says in 1 Timothy 1 verse 8 that the law is good. And you'll find almost all of the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the moral law of God reflected in the New Testament. Because you see, the moral law of God, the commandments of God given to ancient Israel are a reflection of His holiness and His righteousness. And don't forget the laws that governed Israel are a measurement of the laws that should be extended in much degree to Gentile nations because Israel is a light to the Gentiles according to the Bible. So I'm not about to toss all of what I find in the Old Testament and certainly not the moral law. And I think you have a principle consistently sown through the Old Testament where there are times and places where you can act in self-defense and not be held blood guilty. So, the Savior question just a couple of minutes, deserves more time, but I can't. Was Jesus a pacifist? That's the Savior question. Now, what are you going to do with the Sermon on the Mount? Be a peacemaker, love your enemies, don't resist the evil man. If somebody wants your coat, give them it. And see, people go to that, and by the time they're done, Jesus is this kind of effeminate kind of figure who wouldn't hurt a fly. He just pats kids on the head and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's a caricature. It's a caricature. And let me tell you about the Sermon on the Mount. You've got to be careful with the Sermon on the Mount. Don't be taking Jesus' words out of context. Don't be importing to them a meaning that negates the act of self-defense, which has already been established in the Old Testament. Jesus assumes it in one of his stories. He told his disciples to go and buy swords. But here's a couple of things to bear in mind. And this is a troubling passage. In fact, troubling in a good sense. It's radical. It calls us to... Leave vengeance aside to not allow personal hurt to make us angry where we want to hurt people. That's what Jesus is teaching. That's the Jesus way. I find it very hard. I remember the first time a Sunday school teacher back in Northern Ireland taught me this. I wasn't even a Christian at the time. And this guy was a bit of a pacifist himself. But like I couldn't believe what I was hearing one day when he told me as a like 11-year-old boy that what Jesus is teaching, if someone hits you, you can't hit them back. If somebody breaks into your house, like his house, he wouldn't defend him or his wife. And I'm going, sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, if this is what it means to be a Christian, count me out. But I had to wrestle with it. Let me give you a couple of things. Don't forget Jesus didn't set aside the law. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, where these words are said, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So whatever's going on in the Sermon on the Mount, it is not an abrogation of the moral thinking of God reflected in his law. Number two, when Jesus talks about turning the other cheek, when Jesus talks about not resisting the evil man, read the context. It's personal insult. It's not violent assault. Because... The Greek tells us it's the open hand. If you read the culture and the customs, it's a slap in the face. It's like a backhanded thing. It's just an insult. You know, you dirty rascal. 
And at that point, you can't launch off and, you know, really, you know, thump the guy. Jesus is saying, you take that. God will give you grace to resist any temptation to vengeance and anger and a violent response. That's what it means there to resist the evil man. It doesn't mean don't resist the man who's out murdering you and your neighbors. It doesn't square with the rest of Scripture. It doesn't square with Jesus' behavior. And just finally, go to verse 42, two verses later, and Jesus said, if somebody wants your coat, give them it. Now, as Wayne Grudem, in his excellent book, Politics, where he deals with self-defense and many other things, he says, come on, don't read that too literally. Of course it means literal in the sense there is an occasion somebody wants your coat, just give them it. Demands it, give them it. Don't put up a resistance, you know, don't get into that kind of stuff. But as he says, come on, that can't mean that every time somebody wants something from you, you give it away. Because he says, just logically, one guy would, you know, would have your number on that. He could turn up at your house every morning and go, Matthew 5, 42 says, I can have your car today, and I want your television tomorrow, and I'll take your king bed on Thursday. And before you're done, you're living in an empty house, and you're broke. You think that's what Jesus means there? Of course not. So be careful with the Sermon on the Mount. That's the Scripture question. That's the Savior question. Here's the sovereignty question. Is it a lack of trust to own a gun? Is it a lack of trust in God to own a gun? Are you one of those weak Christians that can't trust God because you bought yourself a 45, you know, Glock? Let me say this. Every Christian, whether they own a gun or not a gun, needs to trust God alone for their safety. That's just a given. I'm not arguing with that. That's a straw man. I know that God's name is a strong tower into which the righteous run and are safe. Proverbs 18, verse 10. I know the Bible tells me in Psalm 20, verse 7, not to put my trust in chariots or horses. I don't put my trust in my nine millimeter. I have it because I believe I've got the right, not just constitutionally, but biblically. My trust isn't there. It's only a means to an end. My gun doesn't guarantee my life's safety any more than a fire extinguisher guarantees my house will never be burned down. But it's just a means to an end. It's a God-given means that God in His providence and sovereignty might use to preserve my life and my neighbor whom I love. That's why we find this kind of balance between sovereignty and human responsibility. And like 1 Samuel 17, 47 to 49, I'll give you two examples and move on. David, remember what David says about Goliath? You know, God's going to deliver Israel without a spear and without a sword. It's like he's saying, hey, you know what? Israel's protection isn't in its army and Israel's protection isn't in me. God will protect Israel. The battle's the Lord's. That's where our trust is. But don't forget, folks, David also took a sling, a catapult, a weapon of war, and he brought the big fella down. You go, was that a lack of trust on David who had actually expressed his trust in God? No. There's a balance here. That's why in Nehemiah 4, Nehemiah says to the people, God is awesome. Remember him. God will fight for us. There's sovereignty. There's trusting God where ultimate protection lies. But Nehemiah also says, but fight for your family. And he had half the men carrying spears. I don't buy this sovereignty argument that you know what, if you believe in the sovereignty of God and you believe in God's protection, then you don't need a handgun. Well, it seems there's always a means to an end. God might protect me through my nine millimeter. In fact, don't we see it in this very passage where Jesus said, one time I sent you out with nothing and you learned to trust me. Now I'm sending you out. It's a little bit more dangerous. Now go and get yourselves a couple of swords. 
Remember, not long swords, not double-edged military hardware. Go and get yourself a couple of handguns, something for personal protection, because robbers and criminals are all around. I love what Oliver Cromwell said to his troops during the Civil War. He said, trust God and keep your powder dry. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a biblical balance. So, last question, the suffering question. I could take 20 minutes in this, but I'm going to condense it. Isn't it the duty of every Christian to accept suffering? Have you ever heard that? In fact, I was reading an article by John Piper, who I love dearly. He wrote an article responding to the call of the president of Liberty University for some of his students to carry firearms should the school suffer an ISIS attack. And Piper attacks that for several reasons. And implicit in his response, you can find it online, he kind of gets this idea, look, we're called to bear a cross. We're called to die for self. We're not called to defend ourselves. We're called to die, to suffer as Christians, to suffer for righteousness sake. And I say to John, amen and amen. If my suffering is a direct cause of my commitment to the gospel, if I'm being arrested, if I'm being punished, if I'm being attacked because of righteousness, I am not going to take up a gun. I'm going to take up a cross. And I'm going to suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ. But the people that want to do me harm are not always Christian persecutors. There's criminals. And I put ISIS terrorists into that category because ISIS, while it attacks the church, has declared war on this nation. ISIS's attack is against the nation and the citizenship And as a Christian, I have a right as a citizen, along with other citizens, to defend myself, not only under the Constitution, but biblically. And so if I am ever put in a place where an ISIS terrorist is trying to take my life and I have an opportunity to take his, I'm not lifting up my cross. I'm lifting up my nine millimeter because I think I've got a biblical right. Now, believe me, I hope I'm never put in that situation. I have no desire to kill anybody ever. But let's not conflate these issues. Of course the Christian is to suffer. Of course the church will face persecution. Read First Peter. Again and again he talks about suffering for righteousness, suffering as a Christian. We won't go to heaven unscratched, unscathed. But let's not blend these issues. Remember, the guy who wrote First Peter and tells me to suffer as a Christian was told by Jesus to go and buy a sword. It seems to be the case that there is some suffering I must embrace non-violently as a Christian, and there's other suffering I'm justified to repel and to act against. And don't forget this, even in this call to suffer in the New Testament, as I read some of this material, I'm almost given the impression of a martyr complex. It's like roll over and play dead. The Lord Jesus escaped a murdering crowd twice. He didn't hang around for the suffering. Paul was led over a wall once. He got his head out of the noose and got out of there. If you can avoid suffering as a Christian, the Bible allows you to do that, even as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And interestingly, when Paul was beaten in a Roman jail, he said, guys, catch yourselves on. I'm a Roman citizen. You know you can't beat me. The guys nearly fell off their seats because they knew they were in trouble. And in Acts 16, Paul uses his leaf. No more beating me, he said. I've got a right as a Roman citizen. Several times he's asked for a military escort to guard him from crowds that want to kill him. So remember who wrote First Peter and his experience with Jesus teaching him in Luke 22. Remember that while suffering is inevitable, you don't have to seek it, and martyrdom is nothing you need to crave. And just finally, 
Make a distinction. Don't let these two things be conflagrated. Taking up one's cross is not the same as taking a bullet in an act of criminality or terrorism. I'm not called by Jesus Christ to take a bullet unnecessarily from some gangster, from some criminal, or from some ISIS butcher. But if it is justified persecution against the church in the eyes of the world, if it comes governmentally, if it comes in a way that I can't avoid it, I'll take up my cross and I'll follow Jesus. I just think those two things are being mixed up. There are times I'm called to take up my cross and suffer. There are other times I think I have a legitimate right to take up my gun and defend my right to life. And I'll need wisdom and I'll need discernment. And like Peter in the garden, this isn't the time, Peter. This isn't the issue. This isn't the place. We all need wisdom to decide when those things ought to take place. Freddie McLaughlin, who I trained under in Northern Ireland and at Milltown Baptist Church, used to say to me, Philip, never forget the forgotten beatitude. Blessed are the balanced. Some things in the Bible are held in tension. They don't cancel each other out. Yes, there are times as a Christian I must take up my cross and suffer. I will not resist. I will follow the path of Jesus in that way. But it seems to me throughout the Bible, in a given situation, out of personal protection, as a citizen within a nation, as a neighbor within a neighborhood, I may be allowed to take a weapon up sometimes and make the suffering happen on the other side. So as we close and we pray, remember these things. Killing is never a light thing, ever. Pray to God you never have to kill anybody. But do remember, it seems to be the case that there are some justifiable homicides in the Bible, and not just at the hands of the government, but the hands of the citizenry defending itself. Remember that guns are a necessary evil, and I say to some guys, be careful about glorifying them. Don't perpetuate a gun culture. If you're going to teach your child about weapons, teach it with some dignity, with some fear of God, with the sacredness of life always in mind. They are a necessary evil, because if the bad guys have them, the good guys need to have them. But Jesus is going to scrap them all someday soon. Pursue peace where you can. Show forgiveness if you can. Remember that this is permitted, not commanded. And submit this side of your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You're not unchristian to own a firearm. It's not unbiblical if ever you should be put in that awful situation to use it. Lord, we pray that we might hide your word in our heart, that we may not sin against you or anyone else. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. That's Philip DeCourcy with a balanced and biblical perspective about bearing arms. You're listening to Know the Truth in a message called In Self-Defense. You can listen again when you visit our website at ktt.org or download individual messages to share with friends. And when you browse our broadcast archives, you can purchase any complete set of messages for personal or group study. Again, that web address is ktt.org. We're grateful we can bring Know the Truth to you every day on the radio, the web, and on our KTT app and podcast. And every time you tune in, you're benefiting from the support of generous listeners who value the ministry of Know the Truth. And we hope you'll join them by becoming a Truth Ambassador, signing up to make a recurring monthly donation of $25 or $50, even $100. Just go to ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. 
And when you sign up to give monthly or make a generous donation of any amount, we'll say thanks by sending you Philip's newest book titled Take Cover. Based on the Maximum Security series, Take Cover offers a biblical guide for finding peace in God's protection. Ask for your copy when you call 888-644-8811 or request Take Cover when you donate online at ktt.org. But don't delay. Today is the last day to receive it. Also, you can call in to get another new resource available to all of our newest Know the Truth listeners. It's the free Take Cover bookmark that lists some of the key principles Philip shares in his new book. Keep it handy to take cover in moments of crisis. Ask for the free bookmark when you call 888-644-8811. Here's wishing you a great weekend. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us again next time when Philip DeCourcy continues his series titled Maximum Security. We're seeing what the Bible has to say about our national security. That's coming up Monday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The housing market is pretty hot right now, so yes, even below average agents can put a home on the market and sell it. But are they getting you the most for your home? I'm here with Christy Moore of More Realty Services. Christy was just telling me a story that floored me. So many people like to brag they sold their house in one day, and I'm always thinking, how much money are you leaving on the table? We had a client in Arlington who really wanted to buy this particular house. We put in an offer with an escalation of over $5,000 over any other offer without a cap and a note stating that we would do whatever it takes to buy the home. They accepted another offer without even telling us, and when we talked to the listing agent, she said she doesn't negotiate deals. She may have left $20,000 on the table for her clients. It's a hot market, but the wrong listing agent can cost you tens of thousands of dollars without negotiating skills. How about you sell your home for the most money? Call Christy Moore because she will sell your house in 58 days or she'll buy it. Call 866-404-5858. Certain conditions or exceptions may apply.